Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the program. I am Michael Anthony Ingram, and my special guest tonight is Karen Poppy. Karen will assist us celebrate National Poetry Month, and I'm so excited that Karen is here. Hello, Karen. Oh, hello, and happy National Poetry Month. (laughs) Yes, happy National Poetry Month to you, too. Let's begin this journey, okay? If that's all right? Sounds great. All right. Let me ask you, Karen, what is poetry? Well, I love the fact that poetry has such an expanding definition that continues to open up for us. It traditionally meant writing that rhymes, right, and um, writing with a certain type of rhythm. And now it doesn't necessarily have to rhyme. It incorporates sound and symbolism, and it has... I think expanded to reflect our culture, which is increasingly diverse. All right. So why is it important? That's a little shade on the first question, but why is it important? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's important that we have as many voices enter into poetry as possible. That is to say that as the definition of poetry opens up, expands, it's because Mm -hmm. we have all these voices that need to be heard and to be heard in different ways. It's a celebration of the diversity of our community and of our community spirit as well. I like that. It's very nice, very nicely stated. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? Well, I have many themes. The one um, that kept coming up for me and ended up in my last chapbook, Our Own Beautiful Brutality, was actually a Mm -hmm. kind of strange one. It was antelopes. I didn't know why, but I just um, became fascinated by antelopes. Uh, The first obsession started because I went to an animal preserve with sable antelopes, giant sable antelopes, and learned that the matriarchs are the leaders of the antelope society. And when the matriarch passes away or dies, it's, um, the, the leader, she ends up passing on all of her traits to the new matriarchal leader. And that basically started it, but... I just continued on with my obsession and wrote oh, poem wow. after poem about antelopes. But um, oh, wow. other, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and yes, it uh, is. other, I guess other themes in my work are um, parenting, mothering, also um, 
poems about gender and Mm -hmm. about various facets of our society and about the LBGTQ plus community. All right, very nice. Karen, please share a poem. Okay. Um, Well, I will share the first poem from our own beautiful brutality that's about the sable antelope. It's called Matriarchy. How is my life through yours made mine? Sometimes, every day, several times a day, actually, I'm lonely for you, your exaggerated movements, your voice in deep register, your compact majesty. Sometimes, every day, several times a day, actually, I'm angry at you, the richness and poverty of this gift, your voice and body, my legacy. At the end of life, stable leader passes matriarchy to one female in the group who takes on her traits. That female becomes dark and bold, more like a male. She becomes exactly like the passing matriarch, although no one knows how, whether pheromones or fate. How in sudden shift did I become you? Your eyes flashed and turned the way their minds do toward any perceived threat, however innocent. Unable to retract my words, I suffered greatly. My mind pricked and turned the way their ears do toward the most important, pricked and turned, wanting some remnant of you, wanting our story. For nothing is more painful than becoming, than knowing, the hard learning registered, the regret and anguished gratefulness forever. I felt the change even then, the moment over, how I laughed at you and said nothing, how you laughed at me and interred a twig with your shoe a burial, a planting. That's the end of my poem, Matriarchy. Wow. Wow. That was absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Absolutely beautiful. Well, I just need a minute. Oh, I really appreciate that. I just need a minute to, yes, to kind of allow it to, to go through my body. How I need does a minute a to suck be- up the compliment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to have a good time tonight, Karen. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> How does a poem begin for you, with an idea, a form, or an image? Well, it depends, I have to say. Sometimes it's one of those three. Sometimes two or more of those three converge. And a lot of the time, it's just almost like a little voice. And I know that that sounds crazy, but it's a little voice um, saying, this is what you're going to write. Here it is. Mm. And um, it feels most of the time, actually, like I'm guided (laughs) 
as I write. All right. Um, All right. I, I don't feel that I can properly take credit for what I write in that mm-hmm. respect. It, it comes yes. from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Wow, very nice. Let's go back in time, all right? Okay. What was an early, <laughs> what was an early experience <laughs> where you learned that poetic language had power? How did you find out it had power? Well, I guess a few ways. I can tell you a couple. One was Mm -hmm. when I was very little, I was a toddler, my mother used to read to me. And she must have read to me a poem about a nightingale. I don't know which one. I wish I knew which one because there Mm -hmm. are several, right? But I didn't know anything about nightingales. I was just like, you know, maybe two or three. And... Mm -hmm. I told my mom, I want to write a poem about a nightingale. And so, because I couldn't write yet myself, she wrote it down for me. And she was so happy and proud of it. You know, I felt that instantly, like, this is a thing. This is really important. And so that Mm -hmm. was the first poem I wrote, or she wrote for me, but, you know, I dictated. And Mm -hmm. it was also the first knowledge I had that, what I would write could be considered powerful. Um, All right. And then another another memory is jumping forward to my senior year of high school. I think it was junior or senior year. And I wrote a long poem about the United States. And uh, it was a political poem I wish I had it in front of me. I, I don't have it at this moment. It's probably mm-hmm. somewhere in storage. But yes. at the end of reading it in front of my class, everybody was just silent, like stunned silent. And my English teacher, who I'm still friends with today, she just was crying. Mm. Like, I, I guess from the power of the spoken word, right? And mm-hmm. it told me this is what I'm meant to do. Wow. So I'm really grateful. Yes, so what you're meant to do, well, let me ask this question. So what you're meant to do, does that mean that you're meant to be a poet? I think it's a calling, yes. Okay. Tell me more about that. Well, it's in some ways a choice, right? You Mm -hmm. get to choose I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write this poem. And in some ways, it's not a choice. It's what you're born with. It's something that you are basically called on to share with the world and to use to help Mm -hmm. others. And I feel that very strongly. And, And so that's why when... I hear that little voice, like, write this thing. I usually obey it, and I sit my butt down, and I write. I can understand that. I really, really can. You know, all great writers, and I'm going to put you in that category, have great writing influences. (laughs) Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes, your writing influences? Well, they're they're varied. They range everywhere from my grandmother to Shakespeare to Sylvia Plath, Emily Dickinson, uh, 
people who aren't poets, also animals. I just have a, a broad range of poetry influences. I have to say mm-hmm. nature in every form, too. If you had to choose someone to serve as your poetry mentor, who would it be? Living or dead. <laughs> either one. Either one. <laughs> either one. That's a good question, Karen. <laughs> because I don't know that I can choose one, living or dead, mm-hmm. but I think if I were just allowed – I, I think like a little sampler course um, sitting All at right. the feet of my various influences, that would be amazing. All right. I can understand that. Please share another poem. Okay. I will share the next poem that I have in my chapbook, Our Beautiful Brutality, and just want to let the listeners know that my chapbook is available on the website Finishing Line Press and also through Amazon. Great. And the, the next poem is a longer one. Is that okay? Yes, of course. Whatever you'd like to share. All right. This one is the how-to guide of the giant sable antelope. Part one, how to survive avoid extinction, be revered, prized for distinct beauty, how to die, become extinct, be revered, prized for distinct beauty. They will work to save us. They will work to hunt us. Humans, they do both and call it worship, call it love. Humans have this facial expression they call smile, show their teeth with which many eat meat. A smile gives the human face that special glow, like when sunlight glints off our long, majestic horns. We drop to our knees. It seems like surrender. Then our horns cut animal who saw us as prey. We've been known to, like other sables, impale the lion, the crocodile, creatures who smile. Part two, don't take us lightly. We survived the very few. Humans call our status critically endangered, startled that we still exist. We are startled that they still exist, these humans as they call themselves. They call us giant sable antelope in their various languages, Hypotragus Niger Variani, in a language less endangered than we, that they call it dead. We call ourselves each other by lock of our horns that warns of small dog, great predator. Our past generations long ago gathered in vast groups at and near cool quench of water leafy nourishment. We lived in our own beautiful brutality. We and humans could still live like that, angry aggressors who fight selectively, fighting, mating, and yes, dying. Nature coursed a wide river rife with life and danger. 
Then humans began overkilling, hunting more and more, hunted us, hunted each other, in and after civil war. Angola, our only home, and for many humans, theirs, station dried up our rivers. Our numbers near extinction. Humans died too, suffered so much lost life, more than 500,000. Over one million human beings displaced, infighting after liberation. Even as they war, kill, and sport humans, they live in large population. Warp and weft the weave of all Earth's existence, all creation. We cannot trust them. That's the end of my poem. Wow. If you were asked to share the purpose of that poem, what would you say? The purpose of it? Well, I think that it serves various purposes. First of all, Mm -hmm. I think that the antelope wants us to know that it's its own creature. It's not just the human definition of the giant sable antelope, that it has its own existence just in and of itself and how it's um, how this creature has suffered, how it's so close to extinction, critically endangered. Mm-hmm. Also, the purpose is to talk about the civil war in Angola and the aftermath. Yes. How many people ended up dying and suffering. Wow. And the that damage so that humans do. Mm-hmm. The damage that humans do. You know, I've, I'm looking at the title of your book, Our Own Beautiful Brutality. Tell me about that title. It's so powerful. Well, thank you. It actually came out of this poem, a line from this poem. Yes, where, I heard it. Yes, we lived in our own beautiful brutality that animals, they do, they have their own system, and it does tend to be beautiful and brutal at the same time as does our human system, but mm-hmm. it seems like our human system has unfortunately gone into overdrive. Yes. Yes, I understand that. Well, Karen, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back, okay? Okay, sounds good. Thanks.
I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Karen Poppy. Karen, I have a question for you. All right? Yes. Okay, Michael Anthony. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you, Karen? How so? How so? Yes. Okay. How does your poetry present itself to the public? What what well, what inside you I, comes out? Like I said, I think that it's not so much what's inside of me, but what okay. comes from another place that yes. ends up presenting itself to the public. So whatever form that takes. Usually, instead of the very personal, although I have written very personal poems, they mm-hmm. tend to be more social or political messages or messages about some aspect of humanity or nature or both. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, when I think about it, and you shared that it's not so much from you. It comes from somewhere else. Has a poem ever frightened or humbled you, one that you've written, knowing that it comes from somewhere else? Pretty much every single one, yes. Um, oh, okay. Not, All right. <laughs> not so much frightened as far as, you know, like the way that Stephen King is frightened every yes. time that he writes, I've heard. But frightened yes. like I'm in awe. I'm oh, in wow. awe that this has presented itself. Mm. And so that to me feels like such a powerful thing, such a connection each and every time. And the interesting thing is a lot of it, you mentioned, I think, comedians. And yes. a lot of it comes through in a funny way, like there are comedic moments there are parts of the conversation with whatever it is that's coming to me that can be pretty funny and Mm -hmm. i'll look at it and i'll say oh that's um that's actually um really humorous there (laughs) and (laughs) at the end i'll i'll appreciate that a a lot that that humor to it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow very nice please share a poem Okay, I will skip ahead and uh, read a poem from our own beautiful brutality that grew to me, and it's at once personal. So it, it is something that is my own experience, but it's also about Groucho Marx, and so oh, it's really? funny. <laughs> All right, Groucho. All right. <laughs> But Groucho, hello there. <laughs> he was uh, <laughs> friends with T.S. Eliot, so. Oh, really? Wow. I didn't know that. There's a great article about it, and I think a couple articles in The New Yorker, and then a mm-hmm. book about their friendship, which was often very fraught and uh, difficult. It comes through in their letters to each other. They were pen pals. Okay. Oh, why? 
So this is called Cat versus Antelope. And this is a quote. Now it was my turn to smile faintly. I was not going to let anyone, not even the British poet from St. Louis, spoil my literary evening. Groucho Marx in a June 1964 letter to his brother Gummo regarding dinner in London with his pen pal, T.S. Eliot. And here's my poem. Antelopes move composed lyrically. I am the antelope, the poet, returned to the field. Before you I bow my great horns, never obsequiously. Then I run you through with the most magnificent part of me. Your cons, always greater than your prose, P-R-O-S-E. But I still love the cat. <laughs> or Crouch's I still, <laughs> Crouch's I still love the cat. All right. <laughs> I like that, Karen. I like that. <laughs> you know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it. While others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Well, it depends on the poem. <laughs> Each poem okay. is its own right. creature, right? Right, so right. right. Some Talk of to the me. poems, they'll just come to me, right? And they just are. Mm -hmm. uh, the poem that I just read, Cats versus Antelopes, it did have a beginning, and I've saved it. It's not going to ever be published. It's, it's a very personal piece, like I said. Yes. Just as Groucho Marx had a pen pal in T.S. Eliot, I also mm -hmm. have a pen pal that, well, it's, it's fraught to this relationship, this mm -hmm. pen pal relationship. And so I cut that part of the poem off, and I left, I left it between Groucho and T.S. Eliot, I'll just say. Oh, wow. So, okay. <laughs> so that's an example. But but that being said, some poems, they just come to me as is, and that's how they end up published. Um, mm -hmm. I am very grateful, though, to my editors and people who look at my work, tell me, okay, this works for me, this doesn't, and it ends up the poem gets transformed in that way. So it, right. just, it varies how, mm -hmm. how it All ends right. up, you know, from my yes, pen to the finished, the finished product. All right. I understand that. You know, a lot of poetry is about emotion in some way, shape, or form. Do you think someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Well, I don't know that there are people who don't feel strong emotions, even if people claim wow. that they don't. I think that they're okay. <laughs> that the strong emotions are there, even if they're well under the surface. All right. <laughs> so that being said, it's a matter of the the poem bringing, I guess, out emotion in some form. Usually, mm -hmm. that being said. Poetry tends to take a step back, even if it has emotion in it, which usually it does. It tends to be more measured in how that 
emotion comes through. I like that. Please share another poem. Okay. I'll share the next poem after Cats versus Antelopes. It's very different. It's called Hineni. And here's my poem. He walks hesitantly, though pushed, driven, the desert of his exile. Hineni, here I am, on his head, our every sin. The scapegoat, like God, is everywhere, omnipresent. Even in our fast, even in his dying animal thirst. Hineni hiani miamas, here I am, poor in deeds. Our cantor sings, we still atone through an other, our voices dry. Cantor, shofar, ancient goat, silent and alone. Sound and silence cross through time, a reverberating civil war. Sound and silence, hineni. I walk hesitantly, like that goat, through our transgressions. Sound on my head, silently. I want voice to fill me. I think of every war, every war zone. I think of the times that I have said nothing. Thousands die in sound and silence of civil war. I have said nothing. The news speaks in black ink like hoof prints soon swept by immortal desert, bleached to white bone. Yemen in civil war, thousands killed, far away, and look what they've done to the Jews. Less than 100 remain in Yemen, those few nearing extinction, hunted and murdered, driven out in exile like living scapegoat, herded to survival. Now in Israel, America, the diaspora, less than 100 Jews remain in Yemen. I think of that number again, of thousands, millions, against whom civil war does not discriminate. Wounded, killed, civilians. Hineni, but can I speak for them? those few Jews, those millions of civilians. The rubble of humanity since Solomon kissed Sheba, his inner garden luxurious and sun-washed. Wisdom comes from within. I let another speak for me, but I learn my own wisdom. Mine dark in silence of congregation, the singular voice begging atonement, knowing a child bleeds, knowing a mother starves, knowing disease swarms over crumbling walls, bombards, knowing every war is our war, every child our child. I think of Ukraine, every mother our mother. Here I am, within the singular voice, not singular. Here I am, Hineni, the shofar that sounds today, Yom Kippur. 
Here I am, Hineni. Every silence, every sound, every war. Here I am, the scapegoat, the singer, the loud blasted shofar. Not only ram's horn, but yes, the shofar of the Yemeni, kudu antelope horn. This shofar shakes the heart with terrifying beauty. Luminous is Solomon's kiss, the time from which Yemeni Jews may possibly trace their origin. Here I am, Hineni. We are broken pottery, silence, and strident sound. We are alchemy of a changing life. Our words, our deeds. O oh God, for all of us, have mercy. That's the end of my poem. You know, Karen, when I listen to you, a quiet strength comes through. That's what comes through for me. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Well, I just try to deliver the poem as I think it's meant to be delivered. And mm. so that's that's the way I do it. I did add to this poem we we talked about whether poetry is a living creature or not, and I think yes. it is. I added mm-hmm. Ukraine in yes. because here we are in another yes. situation, sadly, in mm-hmm. which so many people are dying, civilians. And what do you view? I'm sorry. Tragic. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Yes, I was just going to go on to say it's tragic. <laughs> Yes, it is tragic, and it brings up this question. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Well, I think that the role is primarily to bring a voice to the voiceless, Mm -hmm. also to expose others to different things, whether it's um, war or other political happenings, or to key people in to their emotions, like love, like loss. All right. There are many other functions, too, of course, but but that's... um, that's what I see. Does writing energize or exhaust you? <laughs> I've been asked this question before, and I've answered it very differently depending on how energized or exhausted I am. Um, usually I say both. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. You say both. Why? Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me well, more. Well, so it was exhausted. I'm okay. pretty disciplined, okay. but that means that you know I have my normal everyday life. I work full time. I parent full time. I mm-hmm. um, have a pretty 
full life, you know, everything's full time. And then I also have my hours at night that I expect myself and I feel Mm -hmm. expected to sit down to write. And most of the time I do, I I take um, some days off here and there, but most of it's fairly disciplined. It's um, something that I strive for. And that being said, Mm -hmm. the reason that I can keep going is because it is energizing to be able to connect with these voices that come in and Mm -hmm. demand to be heard and to be able to put it to sound, to rhythm and form. That to me is energizing And the most energizing thing to me is um, the writing community and my readers to be able to have that human connection as well. Mm -hmm. What is a measure of success as a poet? I think that that varies for each poet. (laughs) Okay, okay, for you. For for (laughs) me, for me, the measure of success is has my poetry reached others in a meaningful way? All right. That is I like that. Transformation, right? That's the biggest mm-hmm. thing that I can hope for. All right. All right. Please share another poem. Sure. And if you hear any squeaking in the background, that yes. is the more famous poet in the household, <laughs> my dog, <laughs> whose name is Kitty. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> she is uh, providing her own uh, rhythmic poetry and music right now. All right. <laughs> That's great. All right. So the next poem that I'll read, it's a more serious one. It's titled, well, not more serious than my last poem, but more serious than <laughs> Kitty's um, squeaking toy. Okay, so this poem's called, You Tell Me of Stars. You tell me of stars, how they chase you, shining like great claws, he white teethed and holding you down in the dark. Your father unbuckled his belt, you as small as a mouse, still gripped with fear. Although they call you red deer, celestial doe, You tell me of your blood dripping to sea, becoming islands of enveloped sunset. You tell me of your transformation, deer to antelope, scorpions poison. You tell me, and I tell you, he must be brought down before he kills all animals, before he violates the entire earth. But whatever we do, he stalks you, his daughter, forever. Wow. That's the end of my poem. Your work is so powerful. Thank you. It really is. It is. Let's imagine for a moment that a poem is like a cake, all right? Okay. What are some of the, <laughs> what are some of the prevalent <laughs> ingredients that go into the concoction we call a poem? What ingredients go into this particular cake? Well, I think that the ingredients have to be pared down 
in most instances mm-hmm. that poem is one that involves condensed language. And of course, there are always exceptions and great exceptions to the rule. But mm-hmm. to use as few words as possible to get the message across, I think that that's part of the power of poetry. All right. Anything else goes into this poem? What else would go into it? <laughs> so, of course, other ingredients include sound and rhythm, how the words come together. Of course, eating is a communal event, so yes. the ingredients have to be pleasing to <laughs> the the people eating it, right? You have to have, I mean, you can have poems that everybody hates, (laughs) but maybe, maybe there's going to be one taker. (laughs) But I think, I think the most popular poems, the key ingredient would be it's universal quality, right? It speaks Mm -hmm. to most everyone. Mm -hmm. Oh, very nice. I like that. You know, all poets, Maybe, maybe not all poets, but I'm going to say all poets have several words that come up and over again, over and over again, words or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use and why? Gosh, um, I'll have to think about that. Okay. I... I guess I could do a word search of my poem, okay. you know, words, right? And do it in the most uh, technical way possible. <laughs> Don't do that. No, no. No, no. But okay. I do love the word, and it did come into the title of my uh, chapbook and in that one line of my poem. But I love the word beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do tend to use words that describe light, like luminous, glistening, mm-hmm. and things of that nature, mm-hmm. and also words that tend to evoke emotion. So okay. okay. That's what I would say. All right. <laughs> you know, when you think about t- titling a poem, how important is that to you, the title of a poem? Well, I think that it's really important because that's the introduction for the reader. It basically mm-hmm. is either going to pique their interest and make them want to read the poem, right? Or they're <laughs> going to say, no, nah, I passed on that one. That's the boring right. title. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I try to choose carefully. <laughs> Title well. All right. All right. <laughs> Let's take a brief break <laughs> and we'll be right back. Okay. <laughs>
We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Karen Poppy, having a fantastic time. Karen, <laughs> please share, Paul. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to share one from another topic of mine, Every Possible Thing. It's also available on Amazon and uh this poem became even more special to me, and I'm really excited about it because four of the poems from Every Possible Thing were set to music for soprano voice art song by the composer Myron Silverstein. And the soprano, who has just been nominated for Best Classical Solo Vocal Album at the 2022 Grammy Awards, Laura Strickling. She's singing Mm -hmm. one of them on her next CD, 40 at 40. And so this poem is titled Prometheus's Monster, and that's also the name of the song. Prometheus's Monster. There's this cat called Prometheus who wants to skunk up my tree, gave me fire, creativity, then backed away, afraid of it, of me. Prometheus, return to me. I'm your useful monster, set aflame so prettily. And that's the end of my poem. Would you share that one again? I want to soak that in. Share that one one more time. Thank you. Okay, I will. Prometheus's monster. There's this cat called Prometheus who wants to skunk up my tree, gave me fire, creativity, then backed away, afraid of it, of me. Prometheus, return to me. I am your useful monster, set aflame so prettily. Wow. And that's the end of my poem. You're deep, Karen. You are deep. Oh, 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 I like your work. Speaking of deep, I I don't know that I am deep. I actually probably am not as deep as uh, whatever comes to me. If you have a regular conversation with me, you'll be like, wait a second. Well, where, I'm, where the, I'm the listener. You're scratching my head again. I'm the listener. <laughs> I'm hearing deep. Okay. I'm really hearing deep. It. Speaking of that, <laughs> how important is accessibility of meaning? Should one have to work hard to solve a poem? Well, I think that it's important for one to get the feeling of a poem right away, even if one does not understand the meaning, right? You can come Mm -hmm. away and say, Mm -hmm. wow, that was deep. (laughs) That was powerful. (laughs) That was whatever feeling it's given you, right? And I don't know if it was deep as a feeling as much as a comment, but... Okay. But in order to make my poems more accessible, I do include 
detailed notes at the end of every one of my chat books. I'm detailed notes. Really, mm. I I really believe that it's important for people to understand the origin of the poem or at least some of the symbolism behind it okay. or or some of the meaning. So Okay. I guess for whatever is not in the notes, Google is our friend, right? But also mm-hmm. our critical thought. <laughs> we can sit down with the mm-hmm. poem and we should. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? What does it mean and what does it mean to me as the reader? Mm. All right, very nice. Does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the big world validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing they're out of your system? And you've published three mm-hmm. chapbooks. Well, I think that it's not so much about me. It needs to be out in the public, yes, but mm-hmm. not for me. Mm-hmm. It's just because that's what poems require. If I am writing them down, it's because they need to be shared, plain and simple. All right, very nice. And I'm the, I like I'm that. the vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, you're the vehicle. I agree with that. You know, let's go back in time a bit. If you could tell your okay. younger writing self anything, what would it be? Your younger writing self. Hmm. I would tell my younger writing self a heck of a lot. Okay. But (laughs) but now I think think that it's important to just let things go, let them happen, let things Mm -hmm. evolve as they do. I Mm -hmm. wrote a very short essay recently that was just published. It's um, Activation of a Sleeper Cell Poet, I believe is the title. And it's it's last sentence is never rely on the outcomes, right? And so Mm -hmm. that's what I would tell my younger poet self. And that's also what I would just tell others, plain and simple. Never rely on the outcome or outcomes. Mm -hmm. Things just will happen as they do. Mm -hmm. Now, that's true. I like that. That is so true. You know, we live in a technologically advanced society. So much to think about. Do the Internet and social media contribute to the well-being of poetry? What do you think about that? I think that, yes. It's a form of connectivity, right? It's very Mm -hmm, essence mm -hmm. and of knowledge and whatever can provide us with connection, interconnectedness, and knowledge, that's important. And, well, that's what the Internet does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Karen, yes, I would agree. <laughs> I think you're fantastic. <laughs> what I think surprises you, are you? Oh, thank you. That makes me smile. What surprises you most about being a poet? 
What surprises you? I don't know. I want to say that I'm surprised by <laughs> something, but I think that I've been around too long that nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> You're speaking your truth. All right. <laughs> we have to... <laughs> We have time for one more poem. Favor us with one more before we conclude tonight. Okay. <laughs> well, I will read one more from Every Possible Thing, which was my second chapbook. And yes. this one is titled New Roots. I'm reading it because I want poetry to not only provide messages that give us um, information about politics or society, but also mm-hmm. I want to provide some healing and a balm right. and sustenance. So here's mm-hmm. my poem, New Roots. Soft leaves so small cluster on newly naked stems. Let water bathe and crest each vulnerability. Let sun breathe on them. Growth will come. Don't let this slowness burden you. You've decided it's time. That is enough for now. Don't watch for every sign. We draw our own connections. A bounty of light rushes in. Darkness, too. Revelations come where we're most open. Roots will form in their own time. Trust nature's agenda. Now that you've helped it surely along, you can only force so much. That's the end of my poem. Mm. You've written three chapbooks. What piece of advice would you give to your readers? What should they know? Well, I think that readers who are writers just keep mm-hmm. going, going, keep going. That's the advice been in my ear and mm-hmm. for a while now, and I have heeded that voice. And to all of my readers who, writers or not, go and keep going in life in general, there's a whole world mm-hmm. out there of wonder and enjoy Mm. as much as possible. See Mm -hmm. the beauty, see the brilliance that we have in this world. I like that. Where can listeners find your work? Well, on Finishing Line Press's website, Mm finishinglinepress.com, is um, Mm -hmm. the website to find two of my chapbooks, Crack Open, Emergency, my first chapbook, and my third chapbook, Our Own Beautiful Brutality, and then my chapbook, uh, Every Possible Thing, is available on Amazon and also, I believe, on the Homestead Lighthouse Press website, and the two other chapbooks are also available on Amazon. All the links are on my website, which is Karen, K-A-R-E-N, Poppy, like the flower, P-O-P-P-Y, 
dot com. Mm-hmm. All one word, KarenPoppy dot com. All right. Here's one last question for you, then we'll close out. As a writer, what did you choose as as a writer? What would you choose as your spirit animal and why? Or mascot, what would you choose? Well, it's really a difficult question because I love all animals, great and small. All right. I have my own spirit animal with me right now who's staring at me and saying, save me, save me. (laughs) (laughs) That is my dog, Kitty. Yes, Kitty, you are my spirit animal. She's licking my hand right now uh, in agreement. (laughs) And uh, I'll I'll whisper, I'll whisper other animals too. (laughs) No, don't get in trouble. Don't get, I'm going to get in don't trouble. Don't get in trouble, you Karen. see how I'm being stared at right now. It's a kind of downward glance. I'm a little afraid to sleep tonight, to be honest. What's next in the works for you? Where do you go from here, creatively? Where do you go? Well, I would like to have my first poetry collection published. I have mm-hmm. the manuscript out there and if any publishers interested in my first collection please do reach out to me i'm also working on my second collection right now too and i have two novels in draft a third novel going um also i have to say a fourth and um a memoir that i am working on <laughs> as well <laughs> Wow. So I just, uh, I've been working. I just keep working, and that's all one can do. And that's what I encourage everyone to do. Just well, keep I'd like to to keep writing. I'd like to thank you for being my guest tonight. Uh, I leave with such an uplifted spirit, and I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yes. And I'd also like to invite you to come back, maybe this summer or early fall, but I want you to come back and share more of your work. That would be wonderful. Okay. Will do. All right. All right. That was easy. Okay. All right. To my listening, to my listening audience, I want to thank you for always tuning in. And as I share every week, let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. Good night, Karen. Good night. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.